Welcome to the Dylan Experience. Today's episode 65, and I've got a special guest for you. But before we get to that guest, make sure you like, subscribe, follow, do whatever you need to do to stay in touch with the podcast. My next guest is the author of High Road, Cleanse Your Consciousness to Transcend the Ego and Ascend Spirituality. The book outlines how you can achieve your life's purpose, heal your body and mind, and draw happiness into your life. My guest pushes you to open yourself up to new perspectives by bringing together scientific discoveries as well as spiritual concepts. I'm excited to share with you D. Neil Elliott. Neil, how are you? I'm really well, Dylan. Thank you. And uh, it's a pleasure to meet you and a pleasure to be here on your show today. Absolutely. I'm glad to, for, for the people that are listening to this, it's been kind of a month and a half or so for me because I just had my baby. So we're, we're, I'm finally getting back into podcasting and talking to you, obviously. But uh, why don't you kind of lead us into who is Neil Elliott? How, you know, how are you relevant in terms of not only this book, but what do you do with your life? Um, and how have you kind of built it to be where you are now? Absolutely. Uh, first, I want to say congratulations on your new little baby. That's uh, very cool. <laughs> I have uh, three kids, so I understand that. So that's just, that's wonderful. So good luck with that and uh, you know, have fun. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> so far, so good. Yeah, so far, so good. Yeah, your wife might be having a little bit sleep deprivation. But, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, okay, so give everybody context. Uh, born in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, lived in Canada my entire life. Lived across Canada. Uh, currently 62. I was born in 1960. Uh, second marriage, three kids, five grandkids, and all my grandkids are Texans. And <laughs> had to say it. <laughs> And a professional engineer with an MBA. And that's not important, really, other than some stuff that I'm going to talk about as we get into the book. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of context for who I am. So what was the second part of that question? So how, so how are you relevant to our conversation, right? Obviously, I talk a lot about mental health. But how did we get here to where you've written a book, you know, you, you talk about you know, the idea of this book is cleanse your consciousness to transcend the ego and ascend spirituality. And I'm sure that didn't come from your MBA in engineering. Right? <laughs> oh, it did not. <laughs> so, okay. So uh, let me give you a, yeah, that's a good, good point. Let me give you a little bit of context there. So <clears throat> in the nineties, so I'd be in my thirties. Um, I was, uh, so I worked first as an engineer and then as a project manager. So in the nineties, I was managing, you know, a variety of projects, large projects with lots of people. And uh, when you do that, you need to be very inclusive of uh, quite diverse and varying opinions uh, in order to try and come to whatever the best uh, agreeable solution is for whatever problem you're trying to resolve. Mm -hmm. And uh, in and so as an engineer, of course, and we're all like this, but, you know, engineers and I, and I can only speak for myself, but we're probably all a little bit like this. We know what's right and wrong, true, good and bad, true and false. And uh, so in order to be inclusive of other people's ideas in the nineties, I picked up books by Tony Robbins, Dr. Wayne Dyer, Carolyn Mice, positive thinking came out at that time, picked up some books there, took some courses really trying to get at this fundamental aspect of my thinking that helped me to broaden my perspective. Now, uh, 
one thing that happened was that I, I became more inclusive of other, other people's ideas, but you know, like probably all of us, it's like, yeah, okay. I can accept that you believe that, you know, you're thinking this to yourself, even though you're quite congenial and open to it. I can, uh, I can accept that, you know, you're saying that I can see what you're saying, but inside you're going, yeah, I don't agree with that at all. You know? So you kind of say that those kinds of things to yourself. Now I might be alone in that, but I don't think so. So <laughs> I don't think so. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, you know, I spent the nineties doing this and so outwardly, of course, uh, you know, as a professional, uh, more open and inclusive, but as an individual, I never got at this, uh, programmed subconscious and unconscious programming to actually change what I thought. And I went into consulting from uh, employment into consulting in 2002 and uh, life became about work. You don't work, you don't get paid. You're sick, you don't get paid. You take a vacation, you don't get paid. So for me, yeah. uh, it just became work, 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 work. From 2002 to 2015, I slowly drove myself into this really deep, dark, despondent uh, depression. Yeah, We're all great actors in our environment. We, I wore this facade. No one knew I was there. My wife didn't know. My family didn't know. And I was just totally done. Like it, I was just fed up with life and, and, and it was a misery, even though, you know, we go to Europe on vacations and, you know, love going to Europe and seeing the architecture and going to museums and, you know, those kinds of things and have a lot of fun. When I got home back to kind of day-to-day -day life, uh, you know, it's just a misery and I was working fine. I was making lots of money, but I just couldn't seem to get ahead. And I thought, okay, in 2015, I thought, okay, well, what I'll do is I'll pick up some newish, newly issued books, some science books, some spiritual books, and see if I can get at um, this thinking and try and get myself out of this depression. And <clears throat> so I took a couple of years studying that. And uh, in 2017, our house had been on the market for five years, finally sold. My wife jumped on a plane to go to Toronto, Ontario, Canada visit family and friends. And uh, we were in this little one bedroom rental apartment in the city. I sat down at the kitchen table. I uh, planned out my suicide and I crafted my suicide note. I was, I was done. You know, it's like, it didn't matter. It didn't seem to me whatever I did, I couldn't get ahead. I was miserable. And I, and I got to this point, I was thinking, why would I want to spend the next 10, 15, 20 years in this misery? Like life had no purpose or point other than misery for me. Right. And um, so I uh, sat down and I planned out my suicide. And uh, I was planning out for about three months to, to be able to ensure my wife would be financially okay. And to say goodbye to family and friends without them knowing what I was going to do. Uh, about a week prior to me sitting down to do that, some information came to me in this really fortuitous fashion. And uh, it promised to liberate me from my thinking if I followed it and if I studied it. And I was looking for any little sliver of hope to kind of keep going, even though I was done with it. And I, so I thought, okay, well, I'll give this one last chance. I'll study this material. If it doesn't work, I'll, I can pull the trigger. But if I pull the trigger and don't study this material, I'll, you know, I just will never know. So <clears throat> I uh, started to study this material. And I stuck with it. And a year later, almost a year to the day, I woke up. So this would be early November 2018, a year after. I woke up and I was just 
my depression was totally gone. And I was full of this um, inner peace and love and joy. And I felt totally prosperous and abundant. And um, I just, I'd never been at such peace before in my life or, or, or joy. And uh, nothing had changed in my environment. But uh, I had totally transformed how I thought about life and how I thought about the world and how I thought about others. And about a month after that, so 13 months after I began, late December 2018, I went into these two meditations two days apart. And uh, as I went through this meditation, you know, I kind of raised vibrational consciousness of, of my human consciousness as you go through this process. And um, all of a sudden, the spiritual energy flowed in through my head and it filled my body. And then it just totally engulfed me, like just bathed me in unconditional love. And it's an unconditional love that we don't have the human language to describe. It is, it was totally supportive. It was non-judgmental. I felt not judged for anything, anything I had done in my past. I felt uh, I didn't uh, have any resentments or, or felt ill will against anybody that had done anything in the past that I'd perceived to be kind of a negative thing. And, um, and I just felt totally cradled in this unconditional, non-judged, unconditional love. And I came out of that. I wanted to stay there forever. I didn't care what aches and pains my body had. I didn't care what diseases or illnesses it had. I was just totally supported and loved. And I came out of that meditation. And then two days later, I had the exact same meditation. And at that point, I knew that the new knowledge I gained and the process I followed is a truth. And uh, I wanted to share that with everybody. And I thought, okay, well, you know, I, I, wanted, I was really excited. I wanted to get on the rooftops and share this with people. I didn't know how, and I didn't necessarily have the language, but I wanted to share that, you know, no matter where you are in life, you know, if you have the right knowledge, you gain this right knowledge, you follow this right process, you can come back to the state that we're supposed to be in. And I thought, okay, well, you know, if I get on the rooftops and share this, people are going to think I'm nuts. So I won't do that. And it took me a couple of years to figure out the best way to do it is to write a book and share the exact process I went through, uh, what got me to that point of, uh, of sitting down and planning my suicide, and then what uh, the process I went through to come out the other end to where I am today. And ever since then, uh, you know, December 2018, it's been this ever evolving, evolving, deepening, uh, spiritual awakening, uh, new insights, new knowledge, and uh, new states of uh, inner peace and love and joy. And, uh, and I believe that as more and more people do this and they, they change their consciousness, we will eventually bring this world into a new era of love and peace. And that's, so that's, that's my hope. That's right? my goal. That's what, that is the goal. I think, I mean, that's it's remarkable to to hear that because it's so. It doesn't happen every day, right? Like that's the the unfortunate reality of of a story like that is it doesn't always come out with a a good ending. Um, you know, obviously for within America, every year it's it's around approximately forty five thousand people a year 
you know, follow through with their suicide. Um, and so, I'm, you know, one, I'm, I'm remarkably proud of you for continuing through that, you know, and, and at least giving yourself that chance to keep going. Um, and, and I'm excited to hear more about what got you through, because hopefully somebody can take it and, and do something similar. Um, so that's, I mean, that's, it's just so, it's always so powerful to hear that there is hope for people in the world. Um, cause I, you know, if, if you don't know anything about me, I've been through my own suicidal issues. Um, 2015, I nearly ended my life. Um, and in 1996, my dad did end his life. Um, so Pretty suicide is, is, is no, is no stranger to me. Um, and I have the, almost the gift and the curse of understanding both sides of it, of being on the receiving end of it and also being on the end of wanting to do it myself. So it's, you know, this has been always, this has always been a big conversation for me. Um, a, a thought that I have over, overthunk for 20 years, you know, if not more. Um, and so it's, it is always remarkably interesting to hear, other people's stories. And I'd, I'd love to hear more about like, what was the process that, that put you on track? Um, and then, you know, even, even the process that put you off track, like what, what were the things that you recognized throughout your journey that drove you away from, you know, being fulfilled with yourself? And then what were the things that brought you back in, in line with that? Okay. So, uh, so again, you know, I'm sorry about your dad. I mean, I totally, obviously I understand this state and, uh, good for you for, uh, you know, uh, getting yourself out of this position in 2015. So, so kudos to you for that. Um, excuse me. What's the Oh, okay. So <laughs> one of those, yeah. uh, uh, let's see. Okay. So there's, there's a lot here. Right. Um, let me tell you about the structure of the book. I'll get into the book, but I'll get to give you the structure of the book sure. and then I'll kind of explain things as I go. So there's five parts in the book. Part one is an overview of what you're going to learn. Part two is a really candid memoir of my life. And I made it candid, even though I'm a private person, I made it candid because I thought it's really important for people to understand my state of consciousness um, as I progressed through life. And I do, I give specific examples of things that I adopted as beliefs uh, that eventually took me to this place of suicide. And so I, I've written this really candid memoir to do that. Uh, part three of the book is a chapter in consciousness and in science. And uh, what it's designed to do is take you through the same process I did to understand uh, things that we know in science today that helped open me up to receive uh, this new information that showed up uh, on my uh, doorstep, so to speak, uh, a week before I sat down at this uh, kitchen table to craft my suicide note. Part four of the book, I introduce you to this new information I received. And uh, I call it truce. And it's really about uh, mind and matter. 
and uh, it it provides this foundation for this uh, bridging this gap between spirituality and science and lays this foundation for you uh, based in science, but lays this foundation for you if you're interested to embark on this journey. Part five of the book is really my personal experience as I went through the seven steps. And uh, so my recommended way to read A Higher Road is to read it cover to cover, understand the process in its entirety. And then if it resonates with you, go back and start with some of the uh, science material or directly with step one. Uh, if it doesn't resonate with you, that's okay. There's no right or wrong, good or bad, true or false. Just, um, you know, I, if you bought a print copy, either put it on your shelf to reread it in 5, 10, 15 years, or give it to somebody without any colorful commentary about the book and let them discover for themselves whether or not this can help them. And the reason I say that is because we can, knack, we can um, never accurately judge the inner reality of another person. They might be really, really kind and affable and considerate, but inside they could be a mess and you just don't know. Right. And uh, I, I would imagine that's your same experience. No one kind of knew you were there. Is that correct? Oh, for sure. I didn't let anybody know. No, no. And I don't know if that's just men that are like that. I don't think so. You know, there's, uh, I think, uh, I think everybody's like, yeah, I yeah. think it's people. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so first off and then, uh, so the first concept uh, that I talk about and uh, is in the memoir, and this is really that we individually create every event and every experience that comes into our life, whether it's an accident, whether it's winning a car, whether it's, you know, anything you like or don't like, you are the creator of it. And uh, although right out the front, some people go, I don't understand that, or I don't agree with that. But I'm going to walk you through how and why that happens if you go through these seven steps. Uh, but what I want to do with that is I make this link between this subconscious programming, these beliefs that I adopted and accepted as I grew up, as uh, right or wrong, good or bad, true or false, and how they linked to me manifesting, sitting down and writing, crafting this suicide note. And in part three, then what I do is, um, is I take people through a new concept of consciousness. And uh, some of it will be new for some people. Some of it will, you know, I'm trying to get everybody on the same page in this, in part three of this book and everybody to understand that, you know, essentially everything that you believe to be right or wrong, good or bad, true or false is really just a belief. And so this is a process that I had to go through based in science to understand a new concept of consciousness. So this, understanding of consciousness is going to shift as you go through my book, because I'm going to take you kind of the same path that I did. And um, I used to believe, for ex example, that everything that I thought and spoke was all in my brain. It was something that I had been exposed to, something I learned, you know, something I got at school or, or you know, learned from other people. And uh, I cobbled all these things together in my brain and, uh, you know, spoke sentences that hopefully made sense to people. <laughs> so <laughs> used to think that. Then through these um, scientific books that I read, uh, which I walk people through in Higher Road, 
these scientific books I read, I came to understand that consciousness is not only in my brain, but it's in my entire body. And uh, everything that I talk about in this in this part of the book is all based in science and is backed up, it's documented, it, it's observed. It's things that as an engineer, we really like, <laughs> you know, if you can measure it, if you can observe it, if you can calculate it, okay, this is a good thing, right? So I needed that to, uh, to ground me and give me this foundation. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I learned that uh, what we think about affects the expression of a cell and the expression of a cell is the work it does. So we either promote the well-being and the health of ourselves or, um, or are contrary to it, draw illness to ourselves. Right. Um, the other thing I learned was that we can grow new brain cells. We can uh, rewire our neural pathways and we can grow new brain cells. And, and all of this stuff that I talk about is all conceptual uh, based uh, in science but it's, it's done in a way which you're going to understand that you don't have to be a scientist to understand this stuff. It's, it's a common everyday language that's used to describe these things. And um, so my, con my understanding of consciousness as I was progressing on this process was it was not only in my brain, but it was in my entire body. Um, and then, it, then I realized that, no, it's kind of all around me. And what I see now is um, that you know, uh, thoughts go by, like the analogy I use is thoughts go by in this stream. And uh, I pick a thought out of that stream. And if it's consistent with, we do this in a nanosecond, I pick a thought out, I look at it, uh, I consider it. If it's consistent with the patterns of thinking and feeling that I have developed over a lifetime, I keep it and I dwell on it and I think about it. If it's something that's contrary to that, I throw it back in the stream and away it goes. And so I see this stream of consciousness that is outside of me. These go by and I just, I'm picking all the time and, and analyzing. So as we grow from, you know, babyhood to adulthood, so we're, you know, we're born and up to age five, the, um, the baby is really just this sponge. It, the brain doesn't develop to make its own decisions until about age five. And so as a baby, you're, it's just this sponge that's absorbing everything, its environment, it's, its family's attitudes, yep. language, religions, um, culture, traditions, uh, really tuned into emotions. Yep. And really what's happening is that you're starting this process that um, uh, shapes your personality and... Um, and uh, gets programmed in your subconscious mind and your unconscious mind. At age five, you perpetuate this, these things that you believe to be right or wrong, good or bad, true or false. And you go out and you learn new experiences by meeting other people and going to school and stuff like that. As we grow from babyhood to adulthood, uh, we think we're becoming versed in the ways of the world. But really what we're doing is we're, we're programming our subconscious mind and we are shutting ourselves off from the light. And the light is, you know, connection back to source. And so <clears throat> we live in this duality. We live, uh, your soul is, uh, your soul is infused in this process at the time of conception and it brings uh, past life experiences with it. And um, it forms part of this um, uh, programming that goes in your subconscious mind. 
the little I mind of ego is created at the same time of conception, and it takes control of, of the development of the body over the nine month period and uh, through the genetic plan and the DNA of the sperm and the ovum. And as you grow, what happens is that your egoic mind takes control of your life and uh, it programs the subconscious mind. And um, then what happens is that until your soul wakes up and understands what it's doing to itself by creating events and experiences that come into your life, uh, the ego continues to take control and you respond to things from your subconscious mind and your conscious mind that are, that is ego driven that utilize the tools of the universe that we talk about later in the book and um so i've jumped right into some stuff so people that aren't spiritual <laughs> this is going to be a might be a bit of a stretch for them but um i can tell you look i was an engineer grew up agnostic you know, didn't really, I knew there was probably something that organized and designed the world, but I didn't have any beliefs around it really. And um, it wasn't until I went through this process that changed my life that um, I made this connection back. And now I understand how and why we're here. So um, to carry this on, you know, so it's like we're method actors you know, like a method actor, say you're doing a period piece and you're, you're getting ready to, um, you know, go on camera, you dress the part, you eat the part, you play the, you play that role in that part long time before you actually get on film. So you're really getting into character. You speak it, you know, you 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 live that part. And then when you get on film, you know, the director calls action and uh, those actors are really in it. The director calls cut, the actors come out of it and um they can go they high five each other and they go wow you know like you did such a great job i really felt like i was there when you know you did xyz right and the difficulty is that um our soul is our reality the the ego is merely a tool of creation to create individuality out of the wholeness of and the unity of the divine your soul is a fragment of uh, divine consciousness that's here to learn a lesson over many lifetimes. And so your egoic, uh, this egoic tool, we identify with this, that, that this body is solid, that these objects around us are solid, and that this is our truth, this is our reality, this is the method acting piece. The difficulty is that the director never calls cut, and we never come out of that, we believe this that this is our truth, this is our reality. And when you can actually understand that we live in this duality of our truth is our soul, and this ego is merely a tool for us to learn the lessons that we want to learn over many lifetimes, to end up coming back to our truth, which is that, you know, we are not here to please God, we are here to express God, and God is unconditional love. And uh, for us to do that, we need to let our soul gain mastery of our life and, um, and let it be an expression of the divine through our will and through to everything and everyone in our environment. And when you learn these processes and you learn these mechanics of the universe through um, the scientific information, 
um, and you bridge this gap between spirituality and science, what you will do is you will end up um, making this connection back with the divine. And when you make this connection back with the divine, your life totally changes. You become divinely inspired to be this embodiment of unconditional love to everyone and everything in your environment. And because you understand these mechanics of the ego and the soul and why we are really here as souls, um, you can totally change your mindset and the things that drive you to um, uh, burden and wound you with your thinking that keep being repeated in your lifetime and drove me to this point of crafting my suicide note and planning out my suicide. You understand why and how that's happened and you and you transcend that and when you transcend that then what happens is you you have an entirely new perspective about life and you have an entirely new perspective of what your purpose is here as a soul and um, that really you are here to bring unconditional love to everyone and everything in your environment and um you know, I should probably talk about a bit of science to kind of give everybody a little flavor of that. But I just want to let you respond right now to, you know, whatever it is that you want to say. <laughs> there are, I mean, it's, it's, it's a big idea. All of those things are big ideas. Um, and so I've, I have so many questions um, and so many comments and thoughts. Um, I imagine, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like you're not um, whereas a lot of people kind of side with a specific religion, this doesn't feel like it has a, uh, a, a specified religion attached to it. It feels different of sorts, but, but you correct me if I'm wrong. Is that, is that the case? Yeah, there's no religion. There's, it, there's no, there's, there's no religion. This is just, yeah, this is, this is, you know, for lack of a better term, it's spiritual. Right. And, and so there's, there's a belief in, in something, right. And then you can, you can call that a God, but I feel like it's, it's even, even different than, than just simply, I almost feel like at this point, God is such a simplistic term that it doesn't really fit this in some, some regard. Um, so yeah. Do you want me to, I can give you a little bit it. of a, let go me, let it. me give you a little, so Actually, let me, let's finish, finish your thoughts. And then let me give you some more context around all, all of that. That might be a better way to do that. Well, I mean, it, it, I don't, I don't know how much I have beyond that. It, it's just so interesting because it's, um, and I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest. This isn't something I necessarily believe in myself. I, I very much look at myself as, as an atheist and, and, um, and I, but I, but I am very, very interested and curious about how spirituality functions within people. I, you know, very much, it, it makes sense to me of like listening to how you speak about it. It very much makes sense to me. Um, and, and how necessary it is. I, I think of spirituality in terms of this value of faith, right? I think faith is a very foundational value, but you can have faith in a lot of different things as I have faith in, um, in, my lack of spirituality. Um, that's not to say that I don't have a form of spirituality. I just don't necessarily believe in um, entities that, that like gods, if, if you will. 
Um, though I do have faith in, in a form of maybe chaos, you know, it's still an idea that I'm forming myself, um, because to, to speak these things into existence is almost impossible with the, the lack of language that we have. Um, but it is, it is remarkably interesting to listen to how, you know, how we structure these things, because I think, I think faith again is foundational in how we approach the self, right? We, we require faith in something to keep going through the endless, um, traumas and struggles and pain of living life. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly not, you know, if you really look at life, it's not always that easy. It's not always comfortable. It's not always enjoyable. And so there has to be something that kind of transcends all of those deep and intricate issues that we go through as human beings. And so I, I really think um, faith is necessary, but very much like you, which is, which I think is the remarkable part is I don't require people to think how I think. I don't require people to have faith in what I have faith in. Um, but I think it, it, it very much is a natural consequence of living a long life is this requirement for some kind of faith. Okay. Um, and I'm glad I let you finish because that gives me more, <laughs> maybe more, um, more context to be able to provide you some information to um, not convince you. And I'm not trying to lead you or push you down this path at all, but I'd like to give you a few things to think about that may immediately or over time affect um, kind of the way you think about things. So uh, let's start with a little bit of science. So we know in science today that nothing uh, is really solid. At a subatomic level, we are all just energy. So you know this, right? Mm -hmm. You know it intellectually. You yep. might not know it deep, but you know it intellectually. You know, we know this from science today, that nothing's really solid. It's just energy. And uh, <clears throat> the other thing we know in science today is that um, every cell in a body, every cell that's in a body, and there's over 50 trillion cells in a human body, every cell in a body carries the library of information for the entire body. And uh, we know that in science today. The only difference between a liver cell and a skin cell or a, a, a heart cell is the work that it does. So we have, so these cells get together over a nine month period as this body grows and then maintains this over a lifetime. These cells get together and their job is to create a liver and they work harmoniously. Uh, they never intrude on each other's work. They never suddenly spring into making an ear while they are creating a liver. And the only difference between those cells and a heart cell or your skin cell or any other cell in the body is the fact that it is focused on doing this work. There's more harmony in our body between our cells 
than there is, uh, you know, when we as individuals get together to work on a joint project. And so then we look at one cell. One cell has, a, do you have any microbiology? Uh, Very background? little, but I, okay. I, I can try. No, well, <laughs> I'll describe this in a way. You can go verify everything I say here, but um, uh, a cell, uh, a cell has a permeable membrane around it yeah. and that gives it individuality. So the question here is, and I'm going to, so I'll give everybody this question to begin with. When did consciousness first creep into living matter? Right. So that's the question. So um, we look at an individual cell. It has a permeable membrane around it, gives it individuality, gives it protection. And uh, the cell can discern when the, you know, it can discern the right kind of nutrition that's going to be healthy for it. And it accepts it through, through this permeable membrane. It uh, discerns when there is buildup of toxic waste that's going to be harmful to it. And it ejects it outside of this membrane. And that is the first act of consciousness. It is purposeful and it is, uh, you know, kind of deliberate. And uh, so now you think about uh, this one cell that, that, that does this. So uh, science, so we'll flip to science for the moment. So science believes that there was a big bang and out of that big bang came the material universe, came electromagnetism. And then over uh, billions of years, you know, became planets and uh, all the things that we see. And then uh, science also believes that this, um, this big bang created this electromagnetism, that these uh, particles of energy randomly got together to create elements. These elements randomly got together to create the first living molecule. The first living molecules randomly got together to create the first living cell. And from there, we have all of the things that we see on our planet today. All these living life forms, plants, birds, animals, insects, etc. And um, <clears throat> so all of this random activity. But when you look at one cell and, um, and this thing that I just went through that it describes this first act of consciousness, which is very purposeful then you have to say, well, where is this purposeful design coming from? And so if there's consciousness in the first living cell, then why wouldn't there be consciousness in the first living molecule? And if there's consciousness in the first living molecule, why wouldn't there be consciousness in the elements that got together to create this first living molecule? And first living molecules, there's only specific elements that can get together to create this living molecule out of the range of elements that are, are available for this to happen. And if there is consciousness in those elements that got together to create this first living molecule, why wouldn't there be consciousness in the energy that first fused to form these elements? And when you stop and you just study evolution, for example. So pick up some books on Darwin and by others and study evolution. You will come to understand that the, any adaptation that happens to a living creature over many years, you know, maybe thousands of years or billions of years is always purposeful. And it's always fits the design and the requirement for that entity. There is design and there's intelligence 
intelligence with everything that's around you, right down to the uh, act of forming the first uh, set of elements that randomly got together for this living molecule that randomly got together in science's perspective. So when you when you go through this process, you will understand that there's consciousness at all levels. And, um, and then you have to ask, okay, well, then, you know, you ask scientists, well, why was there a big bang? And what was the impetus for this big bang? They have no idea. They just know that there was a big bang, because they can, you know, record it, and they can calculate it and they can measure it. All things we like as engineers and scientists. And, uh, but we don't know why. And uh, when you look at the, um, you know, look, your baby's a great example, by the way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the joy that you feel and the love that you feel, um, you know, uh, this is a, uh, you know, from a parent to a child is a huge thing, right? And, um, you know, all of this is designed to, have these life forms, you know, kind of have these experiences. So I'm going to back up a little bit and uh, talk about soul evolution. Excuse me one second. So, you know, let's talk about souls and then we'll come back to some science stuff. So, uh, you know, souls come here many times over many lifetimes to learn varying lessons as they go through this evolutionary journey. So you need to take the frame of reference off of one lifetime when you look at things that happen to people and you put it on an evolutionary basis of a soul over hundreds, thousands of lifetimes, whatever number you want to choose. And, um, you know, so the soul comes here and it's like it's infused in this process and it's here to learn lessons and it creates every event and every experience that comes into its life through its egoic thinking. And I'm going to link this in a moment. And um, so it comes in, it learns these things. It, it, it uh, comes into an environment, you know, you're, you're born in varying genders, uh, in varying places of origin, varying colors of skin, sometimes religious, sometimes not religious at all, sometimes wealthy, sometimes poor, sometimes highly educated, sometimes not educated at all, varying languages, etc. And all of these things are designed for the soul to learn these lessons that it wants to learn, needs to learn in this evolutionary process. So it's like a soul jumps into a yellow, uh, yellow pond, and it comes out dyed yellow, and it's educated and lives a yellow life. The next time it comes here, it jumps into a red pond, and it comes out red mixed with the yellow, but it's in this red lifetime. So it's, it is, um, you know, educated in red lives and lives a red life, but it's mixed with the yellow and it starts to have some um, input from this yellow thing that it first jumped into. And that goes on lifetime after lifetime after lifetime with varying colors. Finally, the soul wakes up and understands that all of these events and all of these experiences that come into its life, it's creating through its egoic behavior. And then it begins this process to shed the yellow, shed the green, shed the red, shed the blue, until it comes to this point where it has shed all of its colors. It it becomes this embodiment of unconditional love. It's expressing unconditional love to everyone and everything in its environment. And then when it leaves that lifetime, 
the body is ephemeral, it returns to dust, and the soul steps into the light, and it does not need to be reincarnated again. And that's when your real life begins. This process that we're in right now is merely a school. We call this earth. This, this school we call earth is here to allow us to feel the things that we want to feel, to experience the things that we want to experience, to shape and hone and hew our personality over many lifetimes. It's only through lessons of suffering will the journeying soul gain self-knowledge to retain individuality after discarding the ego. The ego is this divinely ordained tool that uses the mechanics of the universe to create every event and every experience that comes into your life. So how does that happen? So before the Big Bang, so we are not matter imbued with consciousness. We are consciousness made visible through the descent of vibrational frequency of electrical particles. So before the Big Bang is a state of universal consciousness in equilibrium. It's opposing impulses, which is the very basic energy of the universe. And at the time of the Big Bang, these opposing impulses were ripped apart, and we see them as electromagnetism. Electricity is a movement in consciousness and consciousness in movement and the attraction repulsion part, the magnetism gives form to that uh, consciousness, consciousness plan to uh, experience itself. So you think with electrical impulses in the brain, you feel with magnetic impulses in the nervous system. Every thought that you have creates a consciousness plan, a a, um, a plan to go out and create something. And the feeling you have is, uh, whether it's a loving feeling or a hateful, vengeful feeling, will magnetize that consciousness plan. And the more repetitive consciousness um, thinking and feeling that you have over time magnetizes that consciousness plan uh, to a, uh, a like event or experience that comes back to rebound into your life to teach you the lessons that you need to learn. Everything that you think that is contrary to unconditional love, judgment, criticism, denigration, slander, um, falsehoods, lies, there's a list of fundamental things that we as individuals, as the ego, uh, creates and reinforces over lifetime will create these rebound uh, experiences and events that come back to your life to burden and wound you until your soul finally wakes up and understands that this is what it's doing. If you express unconditional love to everyone and everything in your environment and you're creating these blueprints and they are all blueprints in unconditional love in caring and in kindness and these are your thoughts not only your actions and your deeds, but your thoughts, you will experience those rebound forms of love and peace and joy in your life. And this is the mechanics of how we utilize the tools of the universe unknowingly, ignorantly, um, to create every event and every experience that comes into our life. And whichever lifetime that you your soul finally wakes up and understands what it's doing to itself, uh, you know, will be the lifetime that you start to shed these colors. So you may have already begun this process. I don't know. 
I don't know about me even, you don't know where you are in your soul's journey. But when you are at a point, you will finally be curious and open. And what got me to that point of being curious and open was this point of suicide. And so as I became open to this and then learned these mechanics and uh, learned this stuff based in science, things we know today. So, you know, we know that our thinking creates uh, either health of ourselves or, um, you know, it's contrary to that health. We know that in science today. We don't know why and we don't know how. But what I'm describing to you is um, what the, the new knowledge that I gained that enabled me to explain this in a way to people and share this with people so that they can actually have something that based in science, but is foundational uh, to bridging this gap between spirituality and science. And since I grew up agnostic, you know, I wasn't religious. I didn't, you know, I had no learning in religion, really. I just knew that if you did the bad things, you go to hell or you know, purgatory, wherever you go, if you do good things, that's great. But it's not what you necessarily, it is what you do and it is what you say, but what you think is just as important, if not more important. And if you continually have thinking and feeling patterns um, that you've embedded in your subconscious mind uh, that create these experiences, you keep creating these rebound forms that come back to burden and wound you to help your soul learn these lessons. So I'll give you another analogy. So think of this body as a rented vehicle, a self-driving vehicle. So you are programming this, uh, the, the programming for the self-driving vehicle in your subconscious and your unconscious mind. Your ego's in the driver's seat and it's driving the self-driving car. So the self-driving car may go, oh, turn here. The ego can go, no, I don't want to turn there. I want to go down a little further and I'll go on the next left or whatever. So your ego is still in control, but, um, but you know, as well as I do, when you drive to work the way you do now, so if you're driving to work, sometimes you get to work and you go, I have no memory of how I got here. All of that was subconscious programming. And we do this. This is what keeps us alive, right? This subconscious programming. Right. And, um, but the patterns that you developed and you program in your subconscious mind is like the self-driving car. So your soul is in the passenger seat. It's bound down. It has no control over this car. So the ego is in control until you start to dissolve these bondages of the soul. So the soul can start to influence and um, take uh, kind of correct some of these negative patterns of thinking and feeling to uh, uh, create these experiences of, of love and kindness and, and uh, caring for other people and other living things on this planet and eventually take over the driver's seat and uh, put the ego in the passenger side and then uh, start to reprogram the self-driving cars So the self-driving car is in alignment with where we come from and where we come from is unconditional love. And in my book, I share an experience of someone who had a near death experience. And I'll talk a little bit about that because I'll give you a further context, but does any of that make better intelligence sense for you as you look around and you look at your little baby that grew over nine months, who took control of developing that little beautiful child that you have 
it wasn't the mother. <laughs> I live with a rule and it's, it's going to be an oversimplified response to all of, all of that incredibly intelligent uh, discussion that you had there. Um, I don't know what I don't know. And I think this conversation right here is a really, really good example of that, of not only me, but I think we as a society, we as two human beings in this discussion are having a conversation about something that we literally cannot know, right? Science is, for all intents and purposes, theories, right? We, we, what we know is not truly what we know. Science 400 years ago, 500 years ago, thought the world was flat, and that turned out to be wrong, right? We used to think that the earth was the center of the universe, turned out to be wrong. We used to think the sun was the center of the universe, and that turned out to be wrong. And so I'm not, I'm certainly not going to tell you you're wrong, because I don't think that really matters, right? I think what matters is that what you have found for you works for you, right? If that is what works for you as a human being to be a good person, that's phenomenal, right? I applaud you for that. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy for that. Um, is that what is right? I have no clue. I could, I, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I have no idea if any of that is exactly what is the right thing. Um, because I have no authority to say that, right? I don't think anybody does. Um, there's so many plausible things in there that make sense, right? There's, there's so many things in there that, uh, I think, for me, I look at foundations and fundamentals a little bit differently. I look at it from a societal perspective, not necessarily just a spiritual or individual uh, perspective. Um, and so when I look at what you have kind of built for yourself and found for yourself um, and revealed for yourself, um, I look at it and I see intricate pieces that require you to, to act accordingly, to act in accordance with your own values, your own thoughts, um, but also in with with an enormous amount of regard and respect for other people, right? The unconditional love, the um, the passion for that unconditional love is is an enormous accomplishment for anybody. Um, because let's be real, violence is no you know is not uncommon ground for humanity. Um, it's not uncommon, uncommon ground for nature in, in itself. Right. Um, and so having these conversations, um, and, and even building somewhat of a structure within yourself to say, this is what I believe. This is how I want to live my life. And even if it's not looking at the individual self and saying, these are my structured rules of how I live and, building it outside of yourself and saying, you know, all of these things that you've said to me, right. Building that structure is, is fundamentally important for every human being to do. Now, the only, the only thing I would say is that can be dangerous, right. And, and this has been, uh, this has been well-documented throughout the history of humanity, right. If you get that wrong and you build a structure that says mine is better and more, you know, more important, more relevant than yours, well, guess what? That's where you that's where you get violence from, right? Because then then it's not about unconditional love and it's more about mine is, 
you need to follow mine, right? And this is, you know, we're having this conversation in society right now with the Roe v. Wade conversation, but this conversation has been had many, many a times across many different problems. Um, in World War II, it was, you know, the Nazis or the Jews, right? And we all know how that worked out. And before that in Soviet Russia, it was, you know, uh, communism versus uh, versus the uh the, the the kingdom right like the the czars um and and so on and we can go all the way back to the beginning of time of human human history but these these conversations in terms of spirituality are so they can become so potent and and the only thing that i that i would say in in kind of not necessarily in in contrast to you um but to always have that, and it seems like you do, but that that urgency to say this can be dangerous if used improperly, because that is human humanity to me, is that anything can be used improperly and that can spark the wrong direction. But from, from my perspective, listening to all of this, it seems remarkably um, open right? It's not like you require me to, to follow what you're doing. And that's, that's remarkably good. I think that's important. Yes. So um, I, w- I will agree with all of the things you said. So I want to give you a couple of things. So uh, f- let me say this first is that there's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. So it's entirely your choice on what you follow and don't follow. It is your path. True. And um, you can choose whatever you want. But let me give you one more context for you to possibly get you to um, appreciate that what you think about will create a like bound, a, a, a rebound form in your life. And if you choose to carry on doing that, however you want to live, that's entirely up to you. I, I, you, I'm not requiring you or telling you, you have to do this. I'm saying for those people that are ready to understand or can understand and want to follow this path, this is uh, a way to achieve unconditional love and peace and security and joy in your life. If you don't want to, that's totally fine. That's entirely up to you. So um, the ego uses the tools of the universe. So when you think about that, electric magnetism, electricity is a movement. Bonding rejection. So the only way that you create um, happiness in your life is to draw to you, bond with everything that you like. I like that ice cream. I like that house. I like those people. I like that event. I like that kind of car. And so you bond with those things. The thing, the way you create safety and security in your life is you reject. I don't like those people. I want to live in this neighborhood. I don't want to live in that neighborhood. I don't like that kind of food, et cetera. You reject those. It is the only way the ego can create um, happiness or safety and security in your life is through these bonding um, rejection mechanisms. Your, um, so give an example of that is you, you know, you want to get a new car. 
you like this car, you love this car, you go out, you make a plan, you buy this car. And uh, so you save up your money, you go, you get this car, you feel this real boost of happiness, you're happy, you have this car of your dreams, it's like an amazing car. And, um, you know, you're, you're really joyful about it. And then what happens over time is it becomes kind of dull and, and mundane and boring. So you show it off to your friends. Oh, you see my new car, you get a little boost of happiness. Oh, I've got one up on you and, you know, see this great little car that I have. And you get this little boost of happiness, but eventually it becomes this new possession becomes mundane and boring. So what do you do? You set a new goal. You go out and you try and get something else that you're at. Life becomes this endless chase of goals. And um, when you let your externalities, your what you see is merely a reflection of your beliefs. You change your beliefs, you change what you see. So if you believe the world is um, negative and you believe people are right or wrong or good or bad, this is what you see. I'll give you an example of this. So in this pandemic, there are two women I know that went for a walk. So there's not a lot of people on the street. And just down the street from us, this is historic building that's um, got the entrance on the second floor. So if you come out of the building, you have to walk down these really large steps down to the street level. So as they're watch- approaching the bottom of those stairs, uh, this uh, elderly woman came out and she's gesticulating and she was angry and she was yelling and she glared down at them and pointed at them and said, stare all you want, stare if you will, I don't care and had this really kind of nasty look on her face. One, the one woman went, oh my God, this woman's a danger. I'm going to phone the police. She stepped back, pulled out her cell phone, called 911. The other woman thought, I wonder if this woman's okay. I wonder if she needs help. So she reached out and said, are you okay? Do you need some help? And as soon as the woman up on the stairs heard that, she said she she calmed down. She explained her story. She explained what happened and why she was feeling the, like she was feeling. The only difference is the program beliefs that people have about their environment. That's the only difference in that situation. You change your beliefs. You change what you see. If you are constantly have negative feelings judgment, criticism, condemnation, et cetera, of people. This is what you see in life. This is what you experience in life. And through these bonding uh, rejection mechanisms, you bring this to you. So I explain in my book in 2011, for for an example, um, and you don't have to believe any of this, but I'm just explaining how my book is. So in 2011, um, I did something every day for a year. And um, what happened is um, a year later, I uh, manifested, I won in a lottery, which I didn't even know this was a prize in the lottery. I won in a lottery, a 65,000 hardtop convertible Lexus. And um, later in my book, I describe exactly what I did every day for a year and these mechanics of the universe that I use that created this win of this 65,000 hardtop Lexus convertible in my life. I didn't know at the time at 2011, I just thought, oh man, I'm really lucky. I got this car of my dreams and 
you know, it's wonderful and all that. And wasn't I lucky to win in the lottery? There's a very specific reason why I won it because I manifested it through these mechanisms and I didn't even know I was using them. And we do this moment by moment every day in our life to create these rebound experiences that will manifest in the future. And we can never link our feeling and our thinking to what these things are that come into our life, whether it's an accident, whether it's a fight, whether it's a person that comes in that, um, you know, you finally fall in love with it, it, all of these things, you are the creator of them. And when you can understand these mechanics and how all of this works, you can make a conscious choice of carrying on living your life like you do, or decide that you're going to change it. And it's entirely up to you. There's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. There's no true or false. So you can choose. And, um, and so I offer this process and the material that I use to help people um, that are one interested in, uh, you know, pursuing um, a, a spiritual awakening, or two are in a really bad place. And they are, you know, wanted to find a way to actually come out of that to be in a better place. And uh, you know, it's entirely up to you guys, you know, it's entirely up to the reader, but I'm going to say, you know, um, if you read it, if you read a higher road cover to cover and it resonates with you, uh, this could be your, your pathway to a, to, uh, a brighter, more fulfilling, loving, kind, peaceful, secure experience than you have ever imagined. Well, that is always the hope, right? That's why, that's why we write books like we've written for that, yeah. that kind of experience. I, I am curious, um, you know, you mentioned it a couple of times, uh, the idea of unconditional love. And I am curious, what is your definition of love? You know, human language is um, confining and restricting because of the very construct of it. Uh, you know, we each have our own understanding of a particular word. So I'll give a, I'll give an understanding of this, but unconditional. So love is, um, just this total, um, I've never been asked to describe this before, so uh, it might take me a moment here. But, you know, it's really no matter what anybody is doing or saying or, um, you know, being, however they are being, it is accepting them for who they are, loving them for who they are, caring for them for who they are, and understanding that, you know, what they think and what they feel is not good or bad. It is just the state that they're in and trying to imbue in them a feeling of caring and love and acceptance, no matter who they are. I don't know. That's the first time I've ever tried to describe that. It's, it's always surprising that, because I, I, I ask that question quite often nowadays, um, and more often than not, people have never been asked that question. That's always remarkably interesting to me. 
Um, I, I, I look at love as, as more of an emotion than a, um, I guess this large entity, uh, as, as I think you, you might, I don't know if entity is the right word, but, um, I look at it as action without expectation, right? Where we, and it is, it is, well, that's unconditional yeah. love. It's like no expectation and it doesn't matter what anybody does. Yeah. No expectation. And it is, a, it is an emotion. It is an emotion. Absolutely. It's, it's, you feel it. Yeah. You feel love for the person. It's not an intellectual exercise. It is feeling, but that feeling doesn't have any restrictions to it. Yeah. And but there's I no th- conditions, like zero conditions. Certainly. Someone could be stabbing you and you're not going to be saying you're a nasty person. You're going to love them for who they are. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't, you know, be, you know, kind of confined somewhere until they are behaving appropriately for a society, but, um, you know, for our, whatever rules we have in society, but, um, but you're not going to judge them for it and you're not going to try and get revenge for it. And you're not going to think that they're bad people for it. You just, you love unconditionally. It is, I don't know. It's tough to describe. Well, I guess to me, and I guess I'm curious about this because I, I think you've you've kind of alluded to this multiple times, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Like I look at things like love as as very much a choice. Um, if someone's stabbing me, like I'm I'm probably not going to choose to love them if they're doing it maliciously, right? If someone stabs me by accident, yeah, maybe we'll we'll, we'll see that, but. What do you then look at in terms of, you know, through this, through this perspective that you hold, how do you look at malicious intent? Like, I mean, like, obviously there's people throughout the world and history that have done very malicious things. Like, how would you look at the Nazis? How would you look at the Soviets of the twenties and thirties that purged, you know, a couple million, I think what, like 10 to 15, 20 million people. Um, like what, what would you say to those like very grand and malicious actions like how does love like fall into that because i very much would not choose to love someone that would would make choices like that so um here's where um so when i see someone today i see their soul I see their soul is equal to my soul. Their soul is unconditional love. Anything that they're doing that is reprehensible is merely the um, activity of the ego that is creating uh, experiences for them to learn the lessons that they came here to learn. Now, if they're doing things which are harmful to other people, I'm not saying people should be allowed to run around and do that. We as a society have some, you know, respect and love. So if you are in total attunement with where we come from and everybody was like that, there would be no judgment. There would only be loving and caring concern to help people along the path to be in alignment with their source of being. And that would be unconditional love. That would be allowing their soul to express itself with its unique personality, but that unique personality, everything that we expressed would be unconditional love. 
it would be supportive. It would be caring. It would be, um, there would be no vindictiveness and there would always be teachings to help people um, move along this path of unconditional love. When people do, um, you know, like the stuff going on in Ukraine right now, I feel really badly for all of the Ukrainians, of course, because, you know, they didn't invite this in, at least they, you know, don't believe they invited this in. And, um, and I feel badly for the Russian soldiers, because I think a lot of those Russian soldiers are there doing what they've been told to do, and probably not even believing they should be them for themselves. But, you know, they're kind of doing it. So all of this stuff that's going on right now, um, you know, from a soul perspective, doesn't we're we're like a hologram. This is just a playground. This is a bunch of method actors that believe that the acting is their reality rather than the soul is their reality. If everybody came to the point of understanding that this is just a tool for us to learn lessons. And that really, if we let our souls express ourselves, all of us would be in the state of unconditional love. All of us would be caring and kind and considerate for everyone and everything around us. And we wouldn't have these acts of strife and violence and denigration and greed that run amok in our societies. And, um, you know, the... The division in the future will not be between the wealthy and the poor. The division in the future is going to be in consciousness. And there's going to be people that understand this and live from a soul perspective. And there will be people that carry on and continue to believe that their 3D reality of this body is their reality. It is not their reality. And um, until you can actually come to that understanding, and you have to come to it yourself, life is not life is an inward journey. And until you're willing to embark on this inward journey and actually um, get the experience of connecting back with source so that source flows into you and fills you and helps you along this path and cleanses you um, and helps you cleanse your consciousness of these egoic patterns of thinking and rebuild it you will continue to live the life that you're living. You will continue to experience these things that you're experiencing. And you'll continue to have the feelings that you're feeling for others. It's not wrong. It is just the path that you're on to learn the lessons you need to learn. I guess it, it feels to me, in some, in some regards, very idealistic in... I mean, in the past, right, and and even now, right, we see people that are very unwilling to to follow that path of thinking and driving inwardly and and following this path to to unconditional love. Um, and so this this idea, though it sounds very good, right, it, it does sound very good for people to just express their souls and do this. Uh, it, it, it almost feels unrealistic. Um, and, and I don't know, like maybe like, I also feel like there, there might be a, a, a good argument to be made that maybe some people's souls are not what we think they are. Right. And, and, or should not be expressed without, without rules and confinements. I don't know like that, that these are just questions I, that I'm, I'm curious about is, 
I don't, I, I just don't know if that's a, 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 a realistic direction, at least right now, because clearly all of, you know, the violence, the greed, the hate, the mistrust, the, you know, all of these things exist in society at the moment right now. Um, and to, to live, to live with this, this mindset could end very poorly, right? Like, I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that, I mean, that, that seems like if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, it's a good way to die. Right. Um, so, no, I, and I can understand exactly, you know, like five years ago, <laughs> I'd be right with you. <laughs> and, um, you know, so not everybody is going to be ready to take this path. Your death, are you afraid of death? I've been to Afghanistan twice. It's never really oh, okay. So really scared me. Um, okay, well, you know, I mean, that's good. Uh, so there's going to be many people like, okay, so the stuff that you put in motion through your thinking and your feeling can take years to come into effect individually. Right. Collectively, the stuff that we put into motion through our collective thinking and feeling. So when we feed our minds, if you think your nutrition that you feed your body is important for your body, I can tell you that what you feed your mind is more important than what you feed your body. Absolutely. If you continue to feed your body um, all of the uh, scary and negative things that are in the news, the violent movies that you watch, the, um, you know, the sexual movies, the, the emotive sexual movies that you watch, um, the um, denigrating, hateful, vindictive, revengeful movies and TV that you watch. These are the kinds of things that you wake up in the middle of the night concerned about. These are the kinds of things that you create scary pictures for yourself about these are the things that you worry about that wake you up in the middle of the night if you continue yep. to collectively we continue to feed our minds like that we put into motion a collective consciousness pattern that must come into manifested form it is the is the law of cause and effect it cannot be avoided but these things, things that have already these things exist though you know, like These a majority of a majority of the people that I work with um, are are people that have been through sexual trauma and and childhood trauma of of sorts. Yeah. And so these aren't these aren't just things that have been manifested through um, movies and TV. These are things that really happen. And and I, like what I what the only the only reason I'm kind of pushing back against some of this is if if you were to explain what you've explained to me, to someone, to a rape victim, uh, to a survivor of sexual assault, um, these, these things would not be understood, right? Because oh, no, it's, I, it's I, almost I, looking, it, it almost, it's, it seems like, and this is, this is my, um, this is my perception of what you're telling me. It feels like there's, there's no choice, uh, in, in terms of like the ego takes over regardless of what the soul wants, right. In, in this 
in like right now as a person, right? And so you look at these things like rape and sexual assault. So this man's ego takes over and he rapes a woman and her ego takes over and she takes on the trauma. And then this guy gets away scot-free for the rest of his life. And then they both die and, and then reincarnation. And then what happens like that, like there's no, to me, there's no justice there, right? There's no ability to move forward there. Like, I don't, I don't really know exactly what I'm kind of getting to, but it, it, it just doesn't feel, it certainly doesn't feel comfortable from someone that goes through a, a situation like that, where there's very malicious intent. And certainly this come, this malicious intent often comes from family members when we're talking about childhood sexual trauma. Um, and so that's the only thing I'm, I'm really putting into question. And I know this is, I, I'm certainly not trying to insult or anything like that. I'm, I'm trying to understand um, like these, these thoughts are, as I said before, they can be dangerous for people because there's, there's not an explanation of the malicious. I don't, I don't know if that's enough for me. So, um, you haven't read my book, so Certainly. you don't, you're right. not, you're not equipped yet with, um, with what I've explained in the book or what I've experienced as a child. So that's number one. Fair enough. Number, number two is that, of course, someone that is very traumatized by rape or other sexual assaults, I'm not suggesting that you could explain this to them and everything's going to be okay. That is not going to happen necessarily at all. Um, and the third thing is that um, I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just trying to share with you what I've learned and what's helped me so that uh, for people that want to read my book, they can understand what I've gone through. They can make their own decision. Absolutely. And if, if what I've explained today doesn't make sense to you, then that's not a problem. Don't pick up the book. Don't read it. But um, so you, you are, and this isn't wrong. It's because this is how we think. But you, um, you have to get your frame of reference to understand uh, two things. One is that you have to get your frame of reference off one lifetime. And you have to understand that everything that's put into motion must come in a manifested form. So someone that maybe has done all kind of unspeakable things to people in a particular lifetime, that will come back to haunt them in future lifetimes. And it may be in one lifetime, it may be in 40 lifetimes that they have this repeated bad experiences. So, you know, I'll just pick one out of the air and I'm not saying this is right or wrong or even accurate, but I'll just give an example. So someone that maybe, um, you know, participated in slave trading of African-Americans uh, out of Africa, they may be back right now and be a black child in the poorest neighborhood and the biggest underdog in the U.S. themselves. And that's a result of their slave trading that they initiated and they participated in lifetimes ago. So you, you know, so someone that comes in, I'm not saying they've invited sexual assault. And again, you need to read my book, but I'm not saying they've invited it. 
but you have to understand you don't know your own soul's journey and you certainly don't know anybody else's own journey. But when you understand that things that you put into motion in one lifetime may come back or will come back, if it hasn't manifested in this lifetime to teach you the lesson, it will come in a future lifetime. And so the justice that you're talking about, you would like to see it happen to a person in this lifetime. From a soul perspective, you are infinite and you are eternal. And you will keep coming back and you will keep experiencing negative things in your life until you start to unravel that and make corrections and heal that and heal others that you have harmed. And so, you know, if you continue to look at it from one lifetime, then yes, a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense. If you understand the bigger picture and can look at it from a larger lifetime and understand these mechanics of the universe and how we use them, you have the opportunity to view it differently. You have an opportunity to have a new perspective. You have an opportunity to change your life. And if you don't, that's not a problem. Just, you know, like, please carry on how, you know, carry on with your life, right? Yeah. And do the best you can. Absolutely. Because it's not up to me to push my way, my beliefs, or my understanding on other people, I am only sharing. And, uh, you know, if somebody doesn't want to listen, typically, I won't even talk about it. If somebody's curious, I talk about it. Well, I'm, I'm curious, please understand that it's not that I'm not, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not listening. I'm, I am trying to understand. Um, yeah. But I, I do. I like to question everything, that, you, even yeah. myself, right. And so I've, I've certainly, um, I, and I, you should, you should question, you should, you should really question. But again, you have to, this becomes an inward journey that you sure. need to make decisions for yourself. It's got nothing to do with what anybody else says to you. And I'm saying, um, give yourself the opportunity to learn the knowledge and then make a decision for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't we, why don't we close out today with the last question that I ask everyone? If there was one message you could leave the world, what would it be? Uh, I think the, the message for, for the world today would be um, that no matter where you are in life, ill or healthy, happy, depressed, um, you know, wealthy or poor, uh, with the right knowledge and the right process, you have the ability entirely transform your life to a state of inner peace, love, joy, and security and abundance. But that choice is yours. And if you choose not to learn it, then that, there's nothing wrong with that. That's entirely up to you. But uh, if you want to do it, give yourself the opportunity. Perfect. Well, from the wise words of Neil Elliott, thank you for, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, and we'll catch you next time on the Dylan experience. Yeah, thanks. And uh, again, uh, congratulations with your little one. Thank you.